have this sachet of like purple crystal granules that I'm opening and I need to put in the bath and it's going to turn it into jelly. <laughs> um, and I've not done this before, so who knows what it's going to be like. Here it goes, nothing. All right, let's get in. <laughs> oh my gosh. I've had this kit in my bathroom cupboard for a while now. You pour a sachet into a bath full of water and the entire thing becomes the kind of texture you might get if you smush loads of jelly between your hands. I feel like I'm kind of in a very sultry, sexy, chunky soup. I would never be bored of being in this texture. It is magical. The kit was bought by a friend who knows me very well. The fact that I love jelly is common knowledge amongst my friends, and it's something I chat about on the internet. But trying to describe how it goes beyond an interest and into the realm of kink can be really hard to put into words. As I'm sitting in a jelly bath, I feel like, why would you not love jelly? Jelly also has like a very seductive quality to it. The way that it moves and wobbles is fun, but if you keep looking at it for long enough, it turns out it's really sexy and reminiscent of body parts jiggling around. I'm Ruby Rare. I'm a sex educator and author, and this is In Touch, a documentary series offering an intimate and playful education around the different ways that we connect to sex, relationships and our bodies. In this podcast, we're talking about sex in an explicit and honest way. You might hear the occasional bit of strong language. It's also worth mentioning that I'm a survivor of sexual assault, so this is something I'll be mentioning throughout the series. Please be kind to yourself while listening. If you'd like to find out more about this topic or are looking for support for any of the themes discussed, check the episode description for resources and helplines. I'm really fascinated by kink. It's a conversation that can go in so many different directions, and I often feel surprised and delighted by how varied our desires can be. Our cultural references of kink are fairly limiting, which leads to misunderstanding. This can go from sensationalising or trivialising kink, all the way to viewing consensual kink practices as perverse. So much of the time when this happens, it's because we're looking from the outside into a community or practice. And as with many things, talking about it is a great way to start the conversation. For years, BDSM was quite an important part of my sex life. I found it was a way of exploring boundaries, and I really enjoyed the interplay between consensual pain and tenderness. This might sound paradoxical, but what is often missed is that kink isn't just the act of spanking someone or being tied up. For me and lots of other people, it's about the emotions that go into it and the care that's given throughout. Those moments have been some of the most emotionally fulfilling for me. All of this was complicated five years ago when I was sexually assaulted. I had to pause BDSM play because I found it too triggering. While this has felt frustrating, it's definitely the right decision for the time being. And it doesn't mean that kink has ceased to exist in my sex life. That pause allowed me to explore loads of kinks that I'd never really given the time of day to before. For this episode, as well as chatting to some kinky experts, we've spoken to a few people who wanted to share their own kinks. 
in the hope that we can show how widely varied the community is. Kink's been having a bit of a moment for the past few years, and until recently, if I thought about the history of kink, I'd probably cast my mind back to the Betty Page shoots from the 50s. Often referred to as the queen of pinups, her photos contain so many classic kinky elements. Think impossibly high stilettos, leather outfits and stockings, and brandishing a whip. But it turns out, it's been around for a lot longer. Dr. Kate Lister is a sex historian, lecturer, and author. She also runs the Whores of Your Twitter account, an archive exploring the history of human sexuality. When it comes to all things sexy history, she really knows her stuff. Evidence of what we'd call kink goes right back to ancient times. You know, there's the tomb of the Acrustins, I think, and it's thousands and thousands and thousands of years old, and it's got frescoes on the walls of people whipping each other in for threesomes. Humans and kink and the infinitely varied ways that we come up with to gratify our sexual desire is really amazing. We've always liked a bit of slap and tickle, uh, a bit of spanking, whipping, naughtiness. That's just part of human sexuality. That's part of who we are. This is a community with heaps of terminology, so let me explain some of it. Kink is defined as non-conventional sex practices, I know what you're thinking, what even is conventional sex? And you're right. What we consider conventional is pretty much defined by society, which makes this definition very vague. For me, kinky sex is anything that falls outside of what we might call vanilla sex. And to be clear, when I use that term, there's no judgment there. To quote my partner Alex, vanilla is still a delicious flavour. This obviously makes kink incredibly subjective, but the key is that there are loads of different ways out there to enjoy sex. Kink is the umbrella term for all of these so-called non-conventional practices, and BDSM is an acronym for bondage, discipline, sadism, and masochism. Other common terms are dom, meaning the person taking on the more dominant role, and sub, the person in the submissive, and a switch is someone who enjoys dominant and submissive roles, depending on the day. But while these are terms that we use today, the way that we name and describe kink is ever-evolving. This is the issue for all historians, especially sex historians, is you need to identify the key words and terminology that you're looking for. If you go back to the archives and look for BDSM slash kink, I don't know what you'll find, but you won't find what you think you're going to find. Like if in the same way that if you went back to 18th century records and tried to look for the word lesbian, you would find things that come from the island of Lesbos. You would not find women having sex with women. So in the 19th century, obviously BDSM and kink weren't widely used. Uh, flagellation was used a lot. Whipping was used a lot. The English vice was a really nice euphemism. And I think that goes back to the 18th century. Apparently the English people just loved getting spanked. And the Victorians were absolute perverts, despite their reputation as being, you know, all thou shalt not. And if you like read through the erotic literature, everybody's spanking everybody. And there are um, sort of bawdy verses and things claiming to be from brothels that talk about spanking a lot. And not just spanking with hands, spanking with leather, with canes, with uh, thistles was one. <laughs> it just goes on and on and on. So while kink and BDSM are not new at all, the sense of community that it has today, of almost being like an identity, you know, or it's part of somebody's identity, that's quite new. My understanding of kink and my relationship to it has changed so much. 
Initially, I thought that kinky sex was all about the apparatus that you brought into conventional or vanilla sex. Handcuffs, some rope, an eye mask, a little paddle. Kink was almost primarily about the accessories. But through having sex with kinky people, I've learned that this isn't always the primary focus. The kinkiest sex I've had has not involved any specific kits. It was all about power play. In fact, the kinkiest object I've ever used during sex has been cling film. I'll let your imaginations roam for that one. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it, been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me, and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. Alex runs Crossbreed which puts on sex-positive, music-focused raves and parties. I had a really strong reaction when I came to Crossbreed last year. I kind of walked back in and I was like, oh, I know this feeling. I feel like I have come into a wonderful escapist dream world where everyone's just here to like create this beautiful space. From my perspective, I just experienced this really high-end level of hedonism. Crossbreed isn't a sex party, it's just a party, it's just a normal party. This place where you can really feel free to be who you want to be, explore what you want to explore. Sex is the thing that gets talked about because it's the thing that is different from other parties. I think people get really caught up in this sex party idea, but actually like, we're just a really great rave and loads of people having the best time ever, half-naked. That's what Crossbreed is really about for me. Security and safety. And if you come once or twice, then that's just a bonus, right? I wanted to know how they themselves define kink. It's really transcended sex in so many ways, you know? It's like embodies me as a person, embodies my community. People attribute the word kink to weird sex, right? But I think that all good sex involves power dynamics. Those power dynamics can move and shift, but it's like dancing, right? Someone needs to be leading and that can of course change and there can be a fight for that lead and that can also be interesting. There's lots of different ways that can present itself. It can still be very like vanilla in quotation marks and really, really incredible. But even within that, there's some sort of power play and that's what kink is about. In mainstream depictions of sex that are vanilla, the power play often really fits into heteronormative perceptions of power. It's super gendered. The man is the top, he's in charge. Inherently, we carry a notion that to be penetrated is submissive. And so those perceptions of power play are so ingrained in patriarchy that they're often invisible to us. The way that we perform in most areas of our lives can actually end up being contrasted in sexual spaces. I chatted to Juliet about how she discovered this through her own exploration of kink. I've always been a very dominant person in my friendships, my family life, my work life. 
And I thought that that the natural progression would be for that to happen in my sex life as well. I very quickly learned that that was the complete opposite. And in fact, I really liked being told what to do and where to be and when to be and how to be. And basically to not have to make any decisions um, other than saying yes. (laughs) While we were chatting, Juliet shared some of her favourite scenes that she had explored. And one in particular really stood out. The one that we, I kind of, me and my, um, I had a steady partner a few years ago that we stumbled upon. Looking at the religious world and specifically the Christian world and kind of the, I guess, the systems of power that exist there and the different characters there. So we played played out kind of like, okay, well, what are different character options? Okay, we could be like a nun and a priest. We could be the graveyard keeper. I mean, <laughs> the first time we really went into it and did it, I'd also brought a Bible with as as a prop and thought, okay, well, at least I'll have this and, you know, maybe I'll read like a passage or something. And then as soon as I started reading, suddenly all my nerves about what I was doing started kicking in. So I just kept reading and reading and reading this verse. But I think that's also what I enjoy about role play is that you're allowed to laugh. And then the other thing that I've really loved adding is the use of um, Gregorian chants which I'm not sure align necessarily with exactly the characters we're playing, but it's lovely background music. And also when there are those awkward silences, then there's something to listen to. There's a wonderful phrase in the kink world, which is, your kink is not my kink, but your kink is okay. It's really important that we don't shame each other for our desires, because we all have different things that float our boat and get us off. So far, we've been talking about the importance of kink being interwoven into our wider understanding of sex. But for some people, like Chai, it's far more clear cut. So I have a spanking paraphilia, which essentially means that my innate, unchosen, lifelong and unchangeable erotic identity is spanking based. So for most people, their erotic focus is in some form oral, anal, vaginal, digital, traditional sex. And they'll have side dishes that are kinks that they enjoy as well, but they're not mandatory for them to achieve their form of completion, whether that be orgasm or something else. My erotic identity is spanking. So oral, anal, vaginal, etc., doesn't play into it at all. The thing I fantasize about is spanking. I don't care about genitals. I'm not attracted to people. I am attracted to the act of spanking. Paraphilia is when something, often an object or a body part that isn't culturally considered to be sexual, elicits a strong sexual response. It took a long time to become comfortable with this part of myself. This really wasn't helped by like Fifty Shades of Grey coming out when I was like 13. It made people more aware of kink and stuff, but it's such a poor representation of consent and all that sort of stuff. And like all the articles that came out at the time being like, oh, this is disgusting. I basically felt like I was completely broken. And it took getting in contact with this brilliant writer called Gillian Keenan, who is uh, a journalist, but she's also a spanking paraphiliac. And she did a really good article that was something along the lines of finding the courage to reveal a fetish in the New York Times. And reading it, I was like, oh, oh God, no, it's not just like a side dish for me, it is the main dish. I'm not broken. I'm just a different type of person with a different erotic focus. Spanking can feel a bit like a kink 101 activity. It's one of the first things that might come to mind when people think about kink. 
So it's really nice being reminded by Chai that for every kink and or sex act, there is a community of people fully devoted to it. Kink is so much more than we think it is. My name is Madam Storm. I'm an international dominatrix. It really came from a space of finding myself. I felt that there was something that I needed to fulfill and I knew I loved power. There is a history behind being a dom. This is something that's been around for centuries. This isn't something new that's just popped up in the past five years. And I'm proud to be a part of this tradition and to be a professional dom. When I found the BDSM world, I felt liberated because here I was, a young black woman, five foot 11, shaved hair, looked very, very different. But instead of the normal response, I was actually welcomed with open arms and I was respected. And it was a space that just allowed me to explore my sensuality, my sexuality. And finally, I felt at home. Last year, I attended one of Madame Storm's dominatrix masterclasses. It was a whistle-stop tour of loads of different parts of her dungeon. Part of it was like a gym induction, going through different pieces of kit and stuff to look out for. A lot of it was about working practices and how to ensure the safety of your client and of yourself. Alongside her sub, who she refers to as her pet, Madame Storm went through some basics of her profession, from impact play to electrical play to bondage and using equipment like a St Andrew's cross. And throughout all of that, the dynamic between Storm and her pet was surprisingly moving to witness. It was so clear throughout that they have formed a deeply intimate connection. They knew each other in that space so well, almost to the point of anticipating what the other was going to do next. And while Madame Storm was clearly the dominating presence, what does that mean without someone to dominate? The mix of that power with the care and gratitude was a new dynamic to me, and one that was special to watch. There was a certain kind of equilibrium between the two. That is the energy that I'm bringing. So you will always see that sort of love, tenderness, and then you might see a bit of aggression, you know, power. So when I hear people saying that they love seeing me and my female sub, I'm not surprised. And that was something that I journeyed to because I believed that women should be dominant and be in their power. As I grew as a woman and as a dom, I thought to myself, hold on, there's something wrong with the way I'm thinking. Because does that mean I think that women who want to be submissive are not powerful? So I had to really look into the way I was thinking and why I was thinking a certain way. And that's when I decided to embark on playing with women. And being a submissive is very powerful. For people who are less familiar with these spaces, there's the assumption that a sub has less agency. When actually, like my experiences, completely <laughs> prove the opposite because you are making an active decision in wanting to be in that environment. Yeah, because that in itself is empowerment because you're being yourself. When I was at my most involved in the BDSM scene, I was largely playing a submissive role. Like Juliet, there was something really exciting and genuinely cathartic about relinquishing control when I don't usually in my everyday life. There's a lot of trust that goes into all of this, and also a lot of work from all parties involved. 
wherever you are in the DOM, sub or switch dynamic, there's a lot of responsibility to communicate your own boundaries and listen to and respect the boundaries of other people around you. This aspect of safety and control was something that was very important to Samara. My approach to sex is driven much more by curiosity than by desire. And so then when it comes to kink, I think that that's a great place to explore curiosity. I think that it's a safe place to explore curiosity. And being asexual, I really like the parts of kink that like, um, you know, contracts and aftercare, things that I think should be a part of, you know, non-kinky sex, but that is very important in kinky sex or even just non-sexual kink. One of my kinks is more of like voyeurism because I do have this curiosity, but sometimes I don't want to be the person physically exploring it. I don't want to be in a scene, but I think all of the different things that can happen in kink are super cool and it's such a rich world, but I don't want to explore it all for myself, but I would love to watch other people explore kink and explore sex and explore how to like relate to each other in scenes like that. I do come at sex with very specific things that I want to do and very specific things that I don't want to do that make me uncomfortable for whatever reason. And kink has just been the safest way to explore that because negotiation is such a huge part of it. Something that I love about kink communities is the conscious commitment to weaving consent into all areas of play. We all have boundaries, but so many of us are still very nervous to communicate them. And we can see this even more so in what is known in the kink community as aftercare. Kink scenes can be mentally and physically intense. I've burst into tears during scenes and have tapped into emotions buried deep in my subconscious. Because of this intensity, the way you come out of a scene is really important. Aftercare provides a soft landing back into the real world and can take many forms, from being spooned to journaling to talking to a friend or partner. You may already be doing some of these things in your own sex life without even realizing. But putting a word to it and discussing what aftercare means really prioritizes this part of sex. Rakaya is a sex educator. So I wanted to know what she thought sex education gets wrong about kink. To be honest, I don't think the sex education world gets it wrong. I think the mainstream gets it wrong because people watch Fifty Shades of Grey and they think that they're a dom and that's just not how it, <laughs> that's not how it, how it works. <laughs> like, there's a lack of emphasis on communication. There's a lack of, of emphasis on establishing boundaries and stuff and like talking beforehand and like even building up tension even talking about what you genuinely like there's so much more to it what Rakaya and I are talking about is the gold standard of kink the vast majority of people who I have encountered in this community are great at communicating but I've also met people who are drawn to kink by the aesthetic and aren't as willing to engage in the emotive aspect of it and the care that's needed I love that we're talking about consent more, but I think we're still looking at it as a one-size-fits-all thing. We still have a fairly simple understanding of what consent is. Some of the people in kink spaces challenge this and show that consent can look different for different people. The common thread is we have to be really explicit in what consent looks like for us so that everyone involved knows the rules. Chai has his own experience with this. It definitely gets a lot trickier in the sort of pure spanking world because a lot of us have a thing for consensual non-consent. And a lot of us like saying things like no and stop. 
but ultimately it's a case of talking about what you want out of the scene before it happens talking about your you know hard limits soft limits your triggers any words and stuff that you do not want said anything that you don't want touching you know etc etc communication is key (laughs) probably one of the most culturally common examples of consent techniques and kink are safe words they're predetermined words that can be used to communicate boundaries but consent can also be shown through non-verbal sounds actions and types of touch, depending on the participants' abilities or how they might be restricted in the scene. A safe word isn't really the most appropriate choice if you're going to have a ball gag in your mouth. Having a bell or something that makes a noise nearby that you can use to get your partner's attention can work well, and I have a friend who's used blinking as a way of communicating during a scene. It's all about finding what works for you and communicating it really clearly. Now, I'd love this episode to be all spanking and sploshing and rainbows, but all parts of our sexual selves are more complicated than that. And we carry a lot of shame about this kind of stuff. Acknowledging shame and accepting shame enables you to open those doors to like fucking wild, amazing sex and sexual fantasies. So maybe we don't always have to think of shame as this awful thing. I'm such a believer in like the power of privacy and not wanting to disclose things to people. But when that tips over into into secrecy, it feels like shame lives in that space. I feel like some sort of responsibility in order to create space for other people to be like open and honest about everything because it helps other people with their shame and the things that they are struggling with and creating space for them to explore and accept their fantasies and their fetishes. I feel like this kind of responsibility to like, own my shit for other people's sake. I've been thinking about this secrecy versus privacy thing a lot, and it's really helped me understand my relationship to certain kinks and fetishes. Because there are some things that I love talking about. My fascination with jelly is one of them. Every time I tell someone, it makes them smile, as it's not what people expect to hear. But I get to choose how deep I go into that conversation with different people. But there are also kinks that I don't want to share with other people. There are kinks that I explore on my own through solo sex or watching porn and actually shifting my perspective from I don't want to talk about that because it's shameful to I'm making a decision for this to be something that is just mine has been really affirming. Community is what makes this for me. It's having people to turn to who get your experience, where you don't have to explain yourself and where you're not made to feel like a massive outsider for what turns you on or for your profession. Spaces where you can go to get advice, peer support, or just have fun in are essential. There's something fun about like having permission to be messy. And I think as someone who likes to be in control a lot of the time and kind of feels very governed by rules and like the way that we should be in society, something like this just gives you an opportunity to like throw all of that away for a minute and just play and get messy and I love that. I think we all need a bit more of that in our lives and what better way of feeling that than being in a massive bath full of purple jelly. (laughs) Next time on In Touch. What was it like when me and Maya started to have sex? It is weird as a parent 
Did I teach her well? Is she going to be okay? Because now it's all up to her. Young people especially go through a lot of sexual shame because of the lack of sex education that they get in. If we put up a wall and don't reach out to people, then the end result is that young people get excluded from RSE. In Touch was hosted by me, Ruby Rare. It was produced by B. Duncan with executive producer Hannah Walker-Brown. The production assistants were Rory Boyle and Mars West. Since recording this episode, Madame Storm is now known as Miss Erica Storm and is training to become a sex therapist. This is a Broccoli production.